I'd invite you to make your way to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5 and verse 12. We're going to consider today verses 12 through 26 in a message entitled, Who Can Forgive Sins But God Alone? If you've been following the news at all lately, you know that there's been an outbreak of what's referred to as the coronavirus, and the World Health Organization, along with the Center for disease control in this country and prevention have been closely monitoring that. Coronavirus is actually a large family of viruses that are common in several different species. Uh, Even with the numbers, the current problems seem to be somewhat localized in the area where it originally started. But as you might imagine, there is a pretty high level of concern. I read an interesting article recently entitled Fears, Outbreaks, and Pandemics, Lessons Learned. And here's what it says in part. Infectious outbreaks have shaped the psyche of humanity for times immemorial. Epidemics and pandemics propagate fear and erratic behavior. Naturally, logically, and unsurprisingly, the larger the scale of an outbreak, the larger the impact and the magnitude. For example, The Black Plague pandemic starting in 1345 killed an estimated 100 million people. And the influenza pandemic of 1918 still receives significant attention. An epidemic is defined as a widespread occurrence of an infectious or non-infectious disease in a community in a particular area at a particular time. A pandemic is an epidemic that crosses over country, and continent boundaries. Now, people are rightly seeking health and protection from the crisis, uh, as we should be, because we should be concerned about our physical health. But I think there's a spiritual parallel to this in terms of the level of our concern about what's coming, as well as the urgency of how we respond to it. And sometimes I think we're much more concerned about the physical aspect of things than we are the spiritual aspect of things. In fact, we live in a world that's kind of driven by naturalism and the idea that this is all there is and all there ever will be. But if we have a broader perspective from the Bible and we understand that the spiritual realm is in fact a reality, then we should be concerned about understanding it and also understanding how we can know God. Now, in our study in the Gospel of Luke, from the scene with Jesus in the boat on the lake with the fishermen, Luke quickly passes to another memorable event that takes place soon after. The scene took place in a town. The name of the specific town is not given in the first miracle, but it's certainly in the region of the Galilee where Jesus was performing his public ministry. And we've already seen Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. He's healing the sick. He's casting out demons. He's touching people's lives. And there are two specific miracles that we're going to consider today that give us insight into the power of Jesus, his identity as God, and his authority to forgive sins. The first miracle is the healing of a leper. And I begin reading Luke chapter 5 and verse 12. While he was in one of the towns, a man was there who had leprosy all over him. He saw Jesus, fell face down, and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. 
reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him, saying, I am willing, be made clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then he ordered him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. But the news about him spread even more and large crowds would come together to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Yet he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. In the first circumstance, a leper came to Jesus for cleansing. Leprosy could refer to a number of different skin diseases in those days, but it's a prevalent problem in the days of the Bible. In fact, it's mentioned in one form or the other 68 different times, 55 times in the Old Testament and then 13 times in the New Testament. Leprosy was and is an awful disease. It has been around since those days, at least in modern times. It's referred to as Hansen's disease, and it causes skin sores and nerve damage and loss of feeling and ultimately even a loss of limbs if it's not caught early on. It is a significant problem. It's caused by bacteria, and even though it's something that moves fairly slow through a human being's system, it has some very dire effects. Leprosy also caused a person under the law to be considered ceremonially unclean. According to Josephus, uh, the Jewish historian, lepers were treated as if they were, in effect, he said, dead men. The Mosaic law prescribed that a person had to be cut off from society. They had to even be cut off from their own family. Uh, The leper had to wear uh, torn clothing and uh, covering over their head. And if a person got within a particular proximity of the leper, he would have to cry out, unclean, unclean, wherever he went, so that people would keep their distance and not get too close. Then, even if a leper was healed, he still had to go to the priest and go through an extensive cleansing ritual before he could come back into the religious community and worship. Luke tells us that this man had leprosy all over him. That's translated to say he was in a bad situation. It was already progressing to the point that he was in a serious health crisis. Now, even today, there is still leprosy in the world. It affects around 200,000 people a year, uh, mostly in the region of South Asia. About two-thirds of the cases are, and then it's scattered in other more difficult parts of the world. I have on one occasion seen a leper in person, and that was in that region of the world. He was a beggar who was stationed beside the road. I'm not sure exactly how he got there, but I was told that he had leprosy. And all of his fingers at this point were gone. His hands were wrapped, and they were bloody in the wrappings that he had on his hands. Half of his feet, along with his toes, were also gone. The same condition was on his feet. They were bleeding somewhat, and he had sores all over his body. Let me tell you, this is a serious situation for a person to find themselves in, particularly in its advanced stage. The man here in Luke's gospel was in that sort of dire circumstance. And yet he was willing to break the rules and get as close as he possibly could to Jesus in order to try to be healed. And when he sees Jesus, he he gets in the proximity of Jesus and he falls face down and he begs Jesus and he says, Lord, if you are willing, 
you can make me clean. Jesus does not rebuke the man for getting too close. Jesus does not recoil from him and move away from him. Instead, Jesus in his compassion actually touches the man, which would have been unheard of. And he says, I am willing be cleansed. And the man was healed instantly. The second miracle is the healing of a paralyzed man. And we pick back up reading in verse 17. On one of those days while he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and also from Jerusalem. And the Lord's power to heal was in him. Just then, some men came carrying on a stretcher a man who was paralyzed. They tried to bring him in and set him down before him. Since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on the stretcher through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. Seeing their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. Then the scribes and the Pharisees began to think to themselves, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, Why are you thinking this in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on the earth to forgive sins. He told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your stretcher, and go home. Immediately he got up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. Then everyone was astounded, and they were giving glory to God. And they were filled with awe and said, we have seen incredible things today. The Pharisees and the scribes of the law had come there, it says, from every village of Galilee and of Judea and also from Jerusalem. There was a large crowd that had gathered, not only with the religious leaders, but undoubtedly with the people who were there in that community. And some men come carrying a man who was their friend, who was on a mat because he was paralyzed. They tried to bring him into the house and to set him down before Jesus, but the crowd was too large. They couldn't accomplish what they originally wanted to do. So they go up on the roof and they make a hole in the roof and they begin to lower him down on the mat through the roof into the middle of the crowd where Jesus was. Jesus, seeing the faith of these men and his, the friends of the paralyzed man, says to him, your sins are forgiven. Now, in that moment, the scribes and the Pharisees accused him of speaking blasphemies. We're going to come back to this point. Jesus told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, pick up your stretcher, and go home. And so he did. He got up, he picked up what he had been lying on, and he went home glorifying God. Now, what I want to show you in these few minutes that we have together are some spiritual principles that I think we can learn from these two miracles that are directly applicable to us in our relationship with God. Some spiritual principles that will help us to understand not only the miracles that took place, but also what God was doing in the lives of the people and what God can do in our lives as well. And the first principle is this, the greatest need every person has is forgiveness. The greatest need that every person has 
is forgiveness. Now, if you've read any on psychology, you are undoubtedly familiar with the name Abraham Maslow. Maslow's hierarchy of needs was set forth in the 1940s, that, and they were supposed to represent the basic needs of humanity that we all are drawn toward. Maslow's list included food and water, shelter, sleep, human connection, and the opportunity to learn and the potential to fail. Maslow took these six needs and he said that they related to self-actualization, self-esteem, love and belonging, safety and security, and psychological needs. Now, when we look at those basic needs, which are well known, especially among social work in the modern era, these things in and of themselves are good. They're not bad inherently because they're certainly things that we need from a human standpoint, even though they're purely from a humanistic perspective. In and of themselves, they're not inherently wrong, but the hierarchy has significant limits. It has significant limits because while it may be accurate from a physical and temporal perspective, if we look at this from a spiritual and eternal standpoint, they are not. We have a much greater need, and the much greater the need that we have eternally is to be in right standing with the God who created us, to have a right relationship with the God who gave us physical life and called us into being. And I think that's what these miracles teach us about our need ultimately for forgiveness. In the first miracle, the man had physical leprosy. We can see leprosy as a metaphor for sin, if you will. It begins as an invisible infection. You can't see it, but then it slowly comes to the point that it dominates your entire life. Sin is the same way. It begins from an invisible perspective. You can't necessarily see it. You don't see it. You don't witness it until you see the actual effects of it. And while it starts out quietly, eventually it consumes your entire life until you find yourself in such a predicament that you are without hope. Leprosy touches the body, whereas sin touches the heart and the soul. Leprosy separates people from society, whereas sin separates people from God. Leprosy causes the body to become numb. Sin causes the soul to become numb. And in this, the greatest need that every person has is forgiveness. You say, well, how could you make that claim that the greatest need that we have is forgiveness? Because of the predicament that our sin puts us in in relationship to God. The Bible describes sin as transgression of the law. It describes sin as rebellion against a holy God. We are sinners by nature and by choice. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 3, in verse 10 and 11, that there is none righteous, no, not one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks after God. He wrote in Romans 3, in verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6, 23 says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what we need is we need help with this spiritual predicament because whereas physical needs can put us in a bad circumstance with our physical health, spiritual needs can put us in a bad position in our relationship with God. It can separate us from God, and that's what sin does for all of us. And forgiveness in the Bible indicates a release or a dismissal. So think about it this way. 
When we receive forgiveness from God, it means that we are released from the penalty of sin. Not only are we released from the penalty of sin, but sin's penalty is actually canceled because our sins have been laid on Jesus. Colossians 1 and verse 13 and 14 says, God the Father has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. When we are forgiven, Jesus forgives us of our sins. He wipes our sins off of the record. And we are delivered from the consequences of sin. But not only are we delivered from the consequences of sin, but we are delivered to a relationship with God. So not only are the negative things marked out and canceled out because the debt has been paid by the blood of Jesus, but then all of the beautiful things that God has for us, we are welcomed into his presence and he welcomes us as his children so that we can experience eternal blessing. Psalm 103 and Verse 3 says, he forgives all your iniquity. He heals all your diseases. Verse 4, he redeems your life from the pit and he crowns you with faithful love and compassion. So the idea that I want to get across here is there is a negative that is dealt with, but then there is a positive that is given. Let me illustrate it this way. I read a story about an organic farmer in Nova Scotia. True story, just a few years back. And he was doing very well in his farming business, growing both vegetables and uh, animals. And as it often happens, along came the thieves. The thieves broke in uh, to his facility and stole uh, a lot of his tools. But to make matters worse, they even stole thousands of dollars worth of his animals. So he decides he's got to do something about this. And he puts a, a word out on uh, Facebook and he says, look, if you have a tip that can lead to me finding out who stole all this stuff from me, then I'll give you a large portion of my very best ham, this prized ham and bacon that he had. He was going to give it to the person that might just know a little something about what had happened. Now, that's pretty good. Ham's good. Bacon's good. But the fact that the perpetrator took something from him and the fact that he was looking for a tip on what happened is not the best part of this story. Because as the story goes, and again, it's a true story, he said, if the thief will turn themselves in, he says, I will give them a job on the farm and teach them agricultural skills. He said, this training will make you more employable and it will bring you respect. And here's what he wrote in the ad. Please, if you need money and you're close to our farm, offer your labor, offer your time constructively, it can earn you money, respect, and a future in the community as opposed to being behind bars. I will offer you much for free and better things to do with your time. And then he closed, and that's no bull. Now think about what God does for us. This is a simple little story of what a human being was willing to do. Listen, that person stole from me. They're guilty. They're deserving of punishment for what they've done. They should suffer the consequences for stealing from me. But not only am I willing to forgive what they've done, but I'm willing to put them in a good position and to bless them with a job, bless them with the ability to be blessed even more if you only come forward. Now, this is an important turning point here because you do have to understand your need and be willing to receive 
what God has for you. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But here's the point that I want to make. With redemption, we have forgiveness and eternal life. We've been purchased by the blood of Jesus and brought back to God. But God's forgiveness has to be received. And here's the thought that came to me this week. And if you don't get anything else that I say here this morning, this is worth coming for. So listen carefully. If you cover your sin, God will uncover your sin in judgment. If you confess your sin, God will cover your sin in Jesus. Now that's good right there. It's so good, I'm going to say it again. If you cover your sin, God will uncover your sin in judgment. But if you confess your sin, God will cover your sin in Jesus. This is the gospel. This is the hope that we have. But it takes us then to the second principle. Faith is required to receive forgiveness. I'd like to tell you that the thief who went to the organic farm did in fact surface, admit their wrongdoing, and receive the job and the blessing. But nobody came forward. You see, to receive the forgiveness, faith is required. Jesus will forgive every sinner who comes to him in repentance and faith. The gospel is for all who will believe. We have to recognize our situation. The leper in the story here in Luke chapter 5, he was in bad shape. If Jesus did not intervene, he had no hope. The leper had no hope for a human cure. And in our sin, we have no hope for a human cure. We need to call out to Jesus in faith. And in the first miracle, the leper said to Jesus, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Now understand, the leper was not questioning the ability of Jesus. The leper was not questioning the compassion of Jesus. Undoubtedly, he had heard of what Jesus had done in that vicinity. He knew of the power of Jesus. He knew that if he could just get to Jesus, that there would be some help and some hope. If he could just get into the presence of Jesus, and if Jesus could just touch him and heal him, then he could be rescued. And that's the same situation we find ourselves in. We've got to come submissively in faith. The world has nothing for you that can offer forgiveness. Your good works cannot offer forgiveness. Your church membership cannot offer forgiveness. Your good life cannot offer forgiveness. There is only one way to forgiveness, and that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. And this forgiveness has to be received by faith. It's the only way to be forgiven. The second miracle, the friend's of the paralytic man brought him to Jesus. Notice what verse 20 says again. Seeing their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The men who brought the paralytic man had great faith, as did apparently he. Their faith was unrelenting. They didn't say, well, crowd's too big, that's not going to work. We're just going to go home. Maybe we'll try this again some other day. They didn't wait. They had an unrelenting faith. Jesus commended these types of actions when he said in Matthew 11 and verse 12, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. Do you you hear the intensity in that? 
that our faith is to be, it's to be an active faith. It's not just something that, that we know in our heads that we believe to be true, but it's something that we lay hold of in our hearts. It's not just a faith that is assenting to something that is intellectually accurate, but it's laying hold of it with our lives. It's in desperation coming like the leper did into the presence of the Lord because we realize that Jesus Christ is our only hope. It's the relentless faith that brought these friends with their paralytic friend into the presence of Jesus because they knew the only way that this man had any physical hope was in the presence of Jesus. This is an unrelenting faith. And it's something that we take hold of, but you know what else happens? When we take hold of God by faith, God takes hold of us. And this paralytic man was healed, and he responded to the glory of God. I love the way the preacher Charles Spurgeon put it. He said, I think I can see him. He sets one foot down to God's glory, and he plants the other one to the same note. He walks to God's glory. He carries his bed for God's glory. He moves his whole body to the glory of God. He speaks, and he shouts, and he sings, and he leaps to the glory of God. Now, don't miss this point. As we've been making our way through the Gospel of Luke, it's really in the sense of a progression because this is what Luke has been building up to in this sequence of stories. From the very time that Jesus' authority was rejected at Nazareth, the events demonstrated repeatedly tell us about his authority to heal and his ability to cast out demons and his power to transform lives. So what was on display in the life of Jesus was not miracles just for the amazement of people so that there would be some type of entertainment or some signs that would wow them. These miracles and this power on display was for the purpose of pointing people to Jesus so they would understand he's the only source of forgiveness. The authority of Jesus was evident at his incarnation. The angels rejoiced. The authority of Jesus was evident in his sinless life. The authority of Jesus was evident in his public ministry. The authority of Jesus would ultimately be evident in his death and his resurrection. And it's, it's all building up. And it's building up in this crescendo that would draw us to one thing. He is worthy of our faith. He's worthy of being believed in. He's worthy of being followed. He's worthy of coming after as a disciple. That's the point of these miracles. As they tell us about the authority of Jesus. But it has to be received. Faith has to be exercised, even as a gift from God, that we might receive forgiveness. You remember Naaman in the Old Testament? In the book of 2 Kings, Naaman was the commander of the Syrian army. Interestingly, old Naaman had leprosy as well. The Bible describes him as a valiant soldier. His wife uh, had a servant girl who was an Israelite girl who had been captured during a Syrian raid. And one day, the girl tells Naaman's wife that if Naaman would go to the man of God, to the prophet Elisha in Samaria, he could be cured. So Naaman's certainly interested. 
He too was in a situation that would be more and more dire. So he communicates the circumstance to the king of Syria who sent Naaman to Samaria with a letter to the king of Israel asking the king of Israel to cure Naaman's leprosy. The king of Israel was frightened in that moment and he tore his clothes. Evidently, uh, it's interesting that the Syrians knew more about God's work in Israel than did Israel's own king. So Elisha calms his fears and and uh, tells him to send Naaman to him. And as the story goes, when Naaman arrived, Elisha sent a messenger to tell him to wash in the Jordan River. And if he would wash in the Jordan River seven times, then on the seventh time that he washed in the river, he would be healed. Naaman was furious. It's an interesting turn of events because he didn't like what he was told to do. He's like, what, you're telling me to go out into the river and, and wash seven times? What's up with that? And his servants said to him, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then if he tells you, wash and be cleansed? Why wouldn't you at least try it? And Naaman in faith did it. And he was cured of his leprosy. He tried to give the prophet gifts, which the prophet rightly refused because he wanted him to understand that the healing had not come from him. It had come from God. And before he started home, Naaman gave evidence that his heart was healed as well as his body. Second Kings 5 and verse 15 says, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. You see, he was willing to give up his pagan idols and commit to make burnt offerings and sacrifices to no other God but the Lord. And you can come to Jesus in faith believing that he can cleanse you. But you have to come in faith. And the question is, who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, the answer is, that's the point of the miracles, to show us that Jesus alone is God in the flesh who came to this earth to live and to die and to now live again so that we might be forgiven and saved. That leads me to the third principle. We should act with urgency to do all we can to bring people to Jesus so that they can be forgiven. Now, urgency is an earnest and persistent quality or insistence on something. And the leper in the first miracle probably had heard, as I said, of the miracles of Jesus. And in desperation, he risked all that he has to be able to get to Jesus. And he came wanting something to happen that he knew could not happen in his strength. So he's willing to violate the necessity of separation and he was willing to suffer the consequences because he had an urgency to get his problem solved. The man in the second miracle was brought by his friends to Jesus for healing. They too had a sense of urgency. They too understood the significance of getting in the presence of Jesus so that the man could be helped. And for us, we should be acting with the same sense of urgency. And the reason that we should be acting with the same sense of urgency 
is because of who Jesus is. And I told you I was going to come back to this idea of them accusing Jesus of blasphemy. So I want to, I want to go back to that just for a moment because the scribes and the Pharisees, they're talking among themselves. It says in verse 21, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus perceived their thoughts and he said, why are you thinking this in your hearts? What's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, you, or to say, get up and walk. And then Jesus tells us the main idea of the whole thing. And the main idea of the whole thing is what draws us into this sense of urgency. And the main idea of the whole thing is that so you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. That's the point. That's the main idea. That's the theme. That's what Jesus was demonstrating. So who has the authority to forgive sins? God alone does. This was God in their presence. This was God coming to them in their circumstance. And because God came to them in their circumstance, there had to be an urgency in their response to him. And it's no different for us today. When you come into contact with the truth of the gospel and the beauty of what Jesus Christ has done for you, that there is a God in heaven who is the creator over all, and that he gave you life, and he called you into being on this earth, and that though you were a sinner, he sent his son Jesus to die for you. And because Jesus came to die for you and to be raised from the dead, if you will have faith in him, you can be forgiven and saved. Friends, that is an urgent message. Today is the day of salvation. Why would we wait if we know that there's an answer to our greatest problem that will satisfy our greatest need? And our time on this earth is limited at best. It's appointed unto man wants to die and after that the judgment. All of us have an appointment with God. And we can't afford to ignore the warnings. Otherwise, it could be to our own eternal peril. There was an account in a region of Russia a few years ago where a security guard had the responsibility to listen, especially overnight, uh, to any fire alarms, any problems that might come in a facility that housed a large number of senior adults. And the security guard, because there had been some false alarms, decided one night when the alarm went off that he was going to ignore it. He was not going to heed the warning. He's just not going to pay attention to it whatsoever. And as a result of his actions of not heeding the warning, 62 people died that night in a fire all because he didn't listen to the warning. See, the situation is urgent for us. We have to heed the warning. And you know this points us even to another step as we think about how important this is. I opened this morning with an illustration about a physical health crisis. And that's certainly important. But in our lives, sometimes we get so fixated on the physical that we lose sight of the spiritual. And we're more concerned about the physical healing than we are about the spiritual healing. As best I know, this leper here that was healed miraculously in that story, he died ultimately. 
he died and stepped out into eternity. As best I know, this man that was the paralytic that was able to get up and take his stretcher and walk straight out of there glorifying God, he died eventually. His life on earth ended even though he experienced a great miracle. But what happened to each of them spiritually is what ultimately matters. And what happens to you physically while it's important in the here and now and we should be good stewards of it. What happens to you spiritually is what is most urgent. Today is the day of salvation. Today, as Psalm 95 says, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So how can we act with urgency and do all we can to bring people to Jesus so that we can be forgiven and they can be forgiven? Well, we need to prepare ourselves spiritually. If we're so fixated on the material, on the here and now, sometimes even with good intentions, we lose sight of the spiritual. So we need to be praying and communing with the Father and asking God to, to give us a spiritual perspective on life so that we can be compassionate and caring in the physical, but also aware and urgent in the spiritual. We also need to be prepared when we have those opportunities to share with people, just like this afternoon as we're going to be better equipping ourselves to be able to share the gospel from the narrative of Scripture, that our hearts would be ready, that our minds would be tuned in with clarity to the gospel so that we can communicate with people who are in need. And then we got to be bold, like the leper made his way to Jesus, and like the friends brought their friend to Jesus, we have to act with that type of urgency and that type of boldness as we share. And I want you to notice in verse 26 as I come toward a close of this message. It says, Then everyone was astounded, and they were giving glory to God, and they were filled with awe and said, We've seen incredible things today. Wouldn't it be great as, as the people of God that that we would routinely be able to say, we've seen incredible things today. And do you know the most incredible thing that we can witness in this life is when a lost sinner is found, when an unforgiven person is forgiven, when a person moves from the domain of darkness to the domain of light, when a pe- person moves from a destiny of hell to a home in heaven, when God moves into a person's heart and by the power of the Holy Spirit regenerates them and brings them from spiritual death to spiritual life, we're able to say, God, we have seen some incredible things today. And that should be what we're praying for and that should be what we're longing for as as the people of God that we would not just go through the motions of spiritual life, but because we believe God's word and who he says he is and we believe God's son and who he says he is and what he's done and because we believe that there's only one way to heaven and that's through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, there should be an urgency about us and we should be praying, God, may we see incredible things that could only be described as having come from your good hand. You know what happens when that starts to happen? We see more incredible things. Because when God is honored and glorified and his son is lifted up, he's pleased with a people 
who have a heart to glorify him and to exalt the name of his son. And he'll use us. When Jesus forgives sin and saves a soul, we should be astounded and give glory to God for the incredible things that we've seen. Let's bow our heads together for a moment as we pray. In just a moment here, I'm going to pray, and uh, Pastor Eric's going to come and sing with us. Maybe you're feeling a, a sense of conviction in your soul today, and just like the leper or uh, the paralytic man, you know that there's no answer for you spiritually apart from Jesus Christ. Will you trust in him today? Will you repent and believe in Jesus? Today is the day of salvation. You can walk out of here today a changed person by the power and the grace of God. And then Christian, do you have an urgency about you? Are you desiring to see incredible things happen for the glory of God? Are you willing to be faithful and obedient with the message, trusting in the Spirit to use the Word? in the declaration of the Son. God uses simple people. He uses people like us, and for that I'm grateful. But He wants us to be faithful. How's God stirring in your life? Father, we thank You today that we can read about these two miracles that took place, not just as great stories, but as a witness, as a testimony to the glory of of your son. And we honor him today. I thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ and the privilege we have to be called your children and your disciples. May we be faithful with what you've entrusted to us. And may we have an urgency about us as we do it. And may we see more and more incredible things that could only be ascribed to your good hand, to your glory and that we give you the praise and the honor for it, taking zero credit at all ourselves. And then, Lord, I pray, if there are any here today who would say, I need to know Jesus. I, I want to be a Christian. I need to be a disciple. I want to come and follow him, and I'm willing to repent and believe. I pray they would come as we close out our time together. And we give this time over to you and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.